Hello, everybody. Open this up in our headphones, Charles. Woo! Our headphones. <laughs> hello, 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 everybody. One and all, welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friends, Charles. Yes, we use the plural friends again today because it is our pleasure to introduce our good friend, reoccurring guest on the show, author of Artifact Space and Hawkward Sword, which is out now, the great Christian slash Miles Cameron. Christian, thank you so much for being on the show. Howdy, friends. It's really (laughs) great to be here. Uh, I, I think we really are friends, and I think we talk too much. That's, 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 <laughs> yes, that's, it's apparent off the air. We can't shut up. The time just flows away. Into yes. the, anyway, uh, it's great to be here, and uh, you know, let's talk. Yes, let's talk. We already had a nice like forty minute chat. I'm like, you know, we should probably record some of this for material. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's why we're here, after all. And today uh, we have very special conversation because, as we had mentioned, we have read Artifact Space, written by you, Miles Cameron, our guest. And we wanted to do our typical book discussion. And this is the first time we're doing a book. Well, we did it with Levi Jacobs, too, but a book discussion with the author himself. So we're looking forward to getting into all of that spoiler-filled glory about Artifact Space. But before we do that, just want to give you a quick plug here. Guys, Christian Cameron, also known as Miles Cameron, depending on what books you read, prolific author. You can check out Artifact Space if you haven't already. Highly recommend it. And then there's also Hawkwood Sword, which is uh, chivalry book number five. Fantastic series. You can also catch him over on Twitter at Fokion1. That's P-H-O-K-I-O-N with number one at the end, where he does this amazing series called Writing Fighting, these short little videos where he demonstrates all different kinds of knightly arts. And we're going to get into all kinds of fun little flint, gun flints and things like that. So definitely mm-hmm. check him out over there. You don't want to miss it. Dylan, why don't you bring us into some of these spoiler warnings so we can go ahead and get into the meat of this? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, first off, before I do the spoiler warning, I just want to say that uh, I loved Artifact Space, yes. and I know Charles did too. It's an incredibly uh, unique, inspired book. Unique and inspired as its author, Christian, over here. <laughs> and I uh, highly, highly, highly recommend checking it out. And if you want some spoiler-free content of us talking to Christian, we have an episode a while back that was a just spoiler-free interview. And uh, check out RFX Space, my strongest endorsement I can give uh, to this. I'm super excited for us to get into the details of the book, which means that... We are going to spoil stuff from Artifact Space in this discussion, so now's a good time to turn this down in your headphones if you do not want to get that book spoiled for you, and you don't if you haven't read it yet. So go pick that book up and then come back and join us later when you're done. Very well said, Dylan. So you have been warned, and without any delay, let's get into the conversation. Artifact Space. Now, Christian, last time you were on, we talked about your 
inspiration for this book it like came to you in this epiphany after watching uh the the recent release of uh little women i believe it was um or no which probably, gets a mention in the book yes which does get a mention in the book when i read when i read that moment i was like aha <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh can you just remind us and some of our listeners like where all the inspiration came from for artifact space i love telling this story so yes uh <laughs> mm-hmm. so uh, uh, long story short, I'm going to start before the movie Little Women. I'm going to start, I think, three years ago at Galan's Fest uh, when my hero, Alistair Reynolds, uh, the premier science fiction space opera writer, I don't know, alive today, uh, he was sitting several rows in front of me uh, at Galan's Fest, and I realized the seat next to him was empty. And because while there are many things I'm afraid of socially, Alistair Reynolds isn't one of them. I just went and plunked <laughs> down next to him and fanboyed in all directions. Uh, and then we had like a three-hour conversation about life on aircraft carriers because it turns out he's a huge fan, the right word. Uh, he's interested in Enthusiast. aircraft carriers. And and he, he basically said like, oh, I've always thought they were like the closest things to starships that we have now. Mm. So we had a big, long conversation. And at some point he said, you should write a science fiction novel. And Jillian Redfern, my mm-hmm. editor from Balance, literally leaned over from the seat behind and said, I'd buy that. <laughs> and I think I said this to you guys the last time, but when you're a full-time professional writer and your editor tells you that she'll buy something, you go like, ding. Uh, so that was that was part one. And then I didn't do anything with it because I had contracts for all the Cold Iron Masters and Mages books. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and then now we're getting to the movie theater. Uh, so I was uh, actually for um, for Tom Swan, which is an ongoing series, 15th century James Bond that I write for fun, really, because mm-hmm. there's only about nine people who've ever read it. Um, I was doing research on how exactly the uh, the great galleys of Venice and Florence worked and the routes that they sailed. And I was totally fascinated how these giant ships sort of pinned the Middle Ages together and yeah. allowed certain forms of international travel. And that was cool. And then... Uh, my just before COVID, my family went to see Little Women, uh, which all of us had we'd read it aloud as a family. We all loved the book, and um, the movie looked really, really good in the trailers. And off we all went to a real movie theater. I know COVID has gone on so long in Canada. I'd like you all to cast your minds back <laughs> to the days when you could sit mm. in a movie theater with other people. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, and I can tell you to the scene, uh, Amy is just telling. Um, the boy, gosh, my mind just went blank. She's she's just telling him like, well, I'm not a great artist, so all that's left to me now is having some rich guy's babies. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. It's much better written than that. Yeah, right. And um, the whole plot of Artifact Space dropped into my head. And it was originally called Amy in Space. Um, <laughs> and right. uh, then it, it went through various transformations and, uh, you know, Amy ended up as an orphan in an orphanage. Um, but uh, that was uh, like... The, the sort of original impulse was a sort of proto-feminist, like, what if mm. the heroine has a whole bunch of different options? And how does she control those options? And how does she get from point A to point B? And that was part of it. But of course, the the, the great galleys became the great ships and and the aircraft carrier yeah. contributed. Mm. Anyway, and uh, all but came the, the amazing part, and uh. probably the part that writers either do or don't want to hear about is how much of mm. that just went ping in my head. <laughs> and um, 
this is the part that's hard to describe. And yet I've now encountered like 10 other writers who say, oh, I've had this happen. Um, an old ballet instructor of mine likes to say art makes art, that looking at other people's mm -hmm. art make, helps you make your own. And uh, I think that's the experience I had, but it was, it was like a revelation. It just went bing. <laughs> mm. And, you know, I've said it was all there. There's a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't there, which was like exactly how great ships worked and like the yeah. star map and where they're going. But the essentials were so much there that I then wrote the whole thing in 45 or 46 days. Wow. That's very impressive. Yeah. I, I remember you mentioning that and I was reading through this story kind of through that lens to kind of see how the influence kicked off the story. And one of the things you had mentioned multiple times in your explanation just now is that you're studying like, oh, life on great ships, life on these big merchant ships, trade ships, things like that. And I was talking to Dylan about this book in preparation for our conversation today. And I was like, it's almost like a it's almost like a slice of life story in that we get so many interesting things happening to our main character in Baro, but like where the story like also shines is how it kind of balances these elements of these the like exciting things like mystery and conspiracy and space warfare. There's even a little bit of romance and stuff, but you always go back to the crew mess and Baro is socializing with people. They're talking about a mission. They're running simulations. She's landing ships. It's like, how, how were you able to balance some of these more exciting storytelling elements with this almost slice of life, life on the ship, just getting to know Mbaro and her friends? And what was your intention in like balancing it in that way? Uh, I've got like three strings on this bow. So <laughs> one is, um, I think experience is, is essential to writing. So mm -hmm. I actually have the experience of being a junior naval aviator on an aircraft carrier. Mm -hmm. And I, I know what I'm about to say is banal, but it's like excitement, adventure, and terror interspersed with utter boredom and incredibly mm -hmm. repetitious, endless training. We used to call it training to train, right? You just like, <laughs> I've done this 8,000 right. times. Yeah. Only when you then have to do it while you're half asleep and people are shooting at you, do you ever realize like, oh, they really wanted me mm. to know how to do this even when I had no <laughs> brain cells at all. Right? Um, and uh, uh, so I wanted to capture that element. And uh, I'm, I'm going to say a really weird thing, but at times I wanted you to be bored. Mm. I know that's a weird, like it's, if my editor hears me, ever hears me say this on this <laughs> Uh, I would probably lose all future writing con because uh, deliberately boring the reader is a way to get you to close the book and never read it again. And while I get that, two things that I don't really like when I read are effectless violence and effectless sex. But I would add to that effectless action, action that has sure. no affect on the character except to give you an action scene. And one of my remedies for that mm. is to force you to experience a little bit of the endless routine. Right. You know, it just goes on and yeah. on and on. And I also tried yeah. to stud like early conversation with some of the veterans saying to Embaro, like, oh, wait till you're really out there. Then you'll <laughs> understand how boring it is. Right. right. And like, yeah, in an adventure novel and space opera is always about adventure. You always think like, oh, it's going to be nonstop action. And I can tell you from my experience of like, several carrier cruises and an actual war that 
far from being nonstop action, it's almost nonstop boredom. And if you imagine, uh, like, let's talk about Star Trek. I love Star Trek. Okay, they tell the truth right up front, a five-year mission. And then every episode is like, and another alien entity is taking over the ship. (laughs) You never have an episode of like Sulu's life as a watchstander. Sitting there going like day to day, we are going exactly the same place we were going yesterday. Cool, black nothingness, black nothingness. Okay, <laughs> oh, yes, sir. absolutely nothing happened again. <laughs> and yeah i would that's super interesting i would kind of push back on that like boredom aspect because yeah and i know dylan has something he wants to say about that so dylan why don't you chime in here well to me i know you said it's gonna sound banal to say the boredom thing and that's something that actually set this book apart in a lot of ways for me was i think in game of thrones and a bunch of other books i've read the like telling of a line like war is boredom with lots of uh intense like random moments but most of it's boredom uh but i i feel like it's told not shown and i don't want to say that you showed boredom in a sense of like eliciting that feeling for me but you to me i just the word that kept coming up for me was real and like honest and genuine was what it felt like when I was reading those times that maybe you would describe as boring, but I'm like, I don't know. It's exact. It just felt exactly like what would happen if you put a bunch of people together on this giant great ship. And it's like, what are they going to do during all this time? They're going to hang out and make friends and date and get to know each other and start to fall for one person and then be like, Oh, I don't know if I'm into them. And then that person will fall for their friend. It's like, (laughs) I've, I've been in situations with lots of people around and time. And I'm sure a lot of people have too. And that's the kind of stuff. Stuff that happens and to me it's like instead of it feeling like oh I came in for a space warfare novel and now I'm bored with this romance it's like I love romance like I love seeing well-written true feeling romance I love well-written true feeling slice of life I love well-written true feeling space battles mm-hmm. and to me it's like the the quote unquote boredom just felt like a really genuine portrayal of what life would actually be like on that spacecraft and i i loved it because i i called you last time a renaissance man in medieval armor and i, I stand by it uh, even though you i know you think uh, the renaissance is the the period gets a lot of uh, uh credit it doesn't deserve but that being said the idea of someone who has all of these sides and so many aspects of their personality like you christian i saw all of that coming through in your ability to write basically like five or six different subgenres well within the context of one book so i think it's like i just i'd recommend it to people with that in mind so they don't be like i came for space battles only and then they're like confused but if they know (laughs) you and they know kind of how many facets you have to yourself and that you do it all well i don't think they'll be bored i think they'll have the experience i had which was being like this is like six great books in one (laughs) dylan your flattery is wonderful uh i i'm just gonna interrupt you to, to go back and say charles said a completely true thing it is like a slice of life that was my aim it wasn't just Look, I'm not going to try and pretend to be a great writer, but I am going to say one of the things that sometimes over frustrates me in like epic fantasy, which I also write, Mm -hmm. is that because they're plot driven, they're utterly false. Because you and I know Mm. that our lives are not plot driven. 
Mm. In fact, they're not. Our yeah. lives are sometimes kind of random. Right. And, mm. uh, when I write Against All Gods, which is the next thing you'll see from me probably next spring. Um, mm -hmm. uh, look, I tried to write my very best epic fantasy, so you can judge it on that, and it is very plot-driven. Mm. But I had this chance, and this is sort of what came <laughs> to me, women. If you read Little Women, you're reading, I think, a truly great novel, but it is almost plotless. Like, yes, it's a coming-of-age story, and yes, it's about Joe basically learning that she doesn't want to be a housewife. She wants to be a writer and that's all fascinating, but that's almost background, right? Cause mm -hmm. you're seeing like what it's like to deal with your father being a wounded civil war soldier, what it's like to be sort of stuck in the middle between rich and poor, where you're trying to be a good Christian and take care of the poor people and mm -hmm. the rich people kind of piss on you. Like it's, it's just slice after slice of experiential whatever. Right. I really like um, that. Right. And so while it does tell a thematic story, I, I, uh, somebody's going to write in and go, that's not what Little Women is about at all. And <laughs> that's fine. But, um, but to me, it's, it's a, a theme or a story arc, but it's told in a million thin slices of literally daily mm. life and routine. That's and, yeah. And it is that kind of feeling that I was trying to get across. And, and I will say, like, there's a technique here, and I'm, I, it's not secret. Um, by having Embaro be junior and young, mm -hmm. and having only seen the world of the spaceship, basically in simulators, we get mm -hmm. to have her be naive and not really know, keep experiencing things for the first time, right? Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. even while I'm reflecting the intensity of routines, or what I jokingly called boredom, <laughs> it's not yeah. routine to the reader. Right. And, no. and it's kind of or fun for the reader. It should be like, oh, you're going on EVA. You're going outside the ship, yeah. right? So like, yeah. well, you know, and at one point, I, I spoiler, spoiler, but like she's saying that can, she feels yeah. that the motions of replacing antennas on the hull are the same motions that peasants have been doing for thousands of years planting crops. <laughs> like, sure, it's a boring, boring job. And then on the other hand, I'm hoping the reader is going like, Take me. I'll <laughs> definitely go and replace yeah. antennas on the hull of a giant spaceship. Please yeah. let me be bored. Yeah, right. And, and that was sort of my technique. It's like, oh, you're getting to train for zero G close combat. Yeah. That yeah. sounds terrible. Yeah. But that to me is what makes Artifact Space shine so well. Because you were mentioning like, oh, this idea of almost plotlessness. Certainly in the beginning, you set up so many plots. We have this like political intrigue there's stuff going on with the starfish there's stuff going on with yeah. all these ships exploding and things like that <laughs> and all this like spy stuff but it's it doesn't feel like it you know had the rising action and then you had the climax and it's like all these stories resolved and came back in the third act because you had couched it like you said in so many of these thin slices of things that Embaro's doing like she's mm. going off ship she's going on a date with someone she has you know not mm -hmm. the most exciting feelings in the world but she likes the guy enough to like go on a date she's like bartering with people she's you know mm -hmm. going out on her EVAs cleaning the ship she's making these routines she's going to meeting debriefing meetings and things like that and it's the balance of all this new stuff through Embaro's eyes, with the routine, with the slice of life, with the exciting plight points, like you managed to balance it all like so uniquely. 
and so well to to tell the story of Inbaro. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is Inbaro's like arc in this book specifically in a book that's like, you know, inspired by Slice of Life with all these different plot points, like what's happening to Imbaro throughout the story. And to me, the thing that was most fascinating about her is this idea of her role as a leadership and her growing as a person, just all these subtle changes that have happened from the beginning through just like seeing her friends every day and landing the ship a hundred times and people like encouraging her just by, you know, being like, oh, nice job. That through enough of that happening, she actually grows into quite a competent leader and her overcoming that is something that I found super interesting. And there's a quote from the book that Dylan and I picked out that I'd love to get your um, notes on as the author Christian. It's a it's a short little quote, and I hate to censor you, but we are gonna. There is a one of those four letter words that we're gonna just uh, skip over here really quickly. So it's the quote is, "Don't let your s word orphanage upbringing make you forget how good most people are." And that to us is a great great quote. I was wondering if you could like shine some more light on Imbaro's arc and that quote specifically. I think it's my turn to praise you guys. You <laughs> have literally pulled the quote on which the book is built. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And we're fist pumping on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> no, really. And like, no. uh, okay, again, not trying to sound like I, I, I have a PhD in English literature because I really don't. But Nambaro's arc is almost the reverse of, of Joe's in Little Women. Joe comes mm. from an incredibly strong, almost magically perfect family. Like it's leave it to beaver combined with the Waltons, probably both before your time. Um, you know, everything about her family is great. Her father is great. Her mother is great. Her sisters are great. The One of the most moving actions of the novel is one of her sisters dies. And like that part of the family is gone forever. And they're all in deep mourning. Mm. Okay. So at a level, again, I don't have a PhD in English literature. The novel is about one member of the family learning to be herself separate from the family and maybe mm -hmm. not do the normal middle-class Christian, marry the right person, have a pile of kids thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, then Baro is going on the absolute opposite trajectory. She is absolutely herself. Mm -hmm. She's been forced to be herself by basically being in prison camp. And through the whole novel, she's learning to have a family and to trust other people mm -hmm. and to think yeah. of solutions outside her own head and to rely on other people. And she's forced to rely on other people in little stupid stuff. And you know, one thing, like uh, every writer is taught this, but I'm just gonna say it for the benefit of anybody who's learning to write, who's listening. Every one of those scenes, every slice we just talked about, I try to have it do at least two things. So it's experiential, but it's usually trying to provide you with some little clue, either a foreshadowing yeah. of another scene or some little hint of information about uh, a plot development. And uh, I've been told that I'm too subtle about that sort of thing. So I admit it sometime, uh, even my editor is like, was this trying to tell me something? Cause I didn't, I didn't get that. <laughs> um, but I like one thing is pretty constant. <laughs> yeah, same. And, and I don't say it right out. I, I think you guys got it. I think a lot of readers judging from reviews have gotten this is that she's learning that like the person putting fuel in her space plane 
she has to rely on that guy mm-hmm. or girl. Mm-hmm. And that is antithetical to her initial encounter, right? So yeah. when Spacer 2 is offering to put embroidery on her spacesuits, and she's like, <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> yeah. Right? And like, sorry, but we can all be that person, right? Like, yeah. I think we've all... Yeah. Like, when you're depressed or angry, you're you're at that end of the spectrum. And then when you're in a good mood and you've had your coffee, you love everyone and you and you're you're more trusting. But one of the weirdest lessons I learned from the military is how very efficient a trust-based society is. And a lot, a lot mm. of the things the military tries to do that are probably opaque if you've never been in the military is to get you to get along with all of your mates. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, mm. my, my favorite pilot used to say the aircraft carrier is like high school, except there's no girls and you can't leave. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that is a chilling and accurate statement. Like, mm. um, and uh, so I, I, I made it high school where you couldn't leave, but there were girls. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, like, there's a spec, I'm sort of going back to Dylan's relationship thing. Like I wanted to capture that, uh, that experience I think everyone has that when you're in an, the hothouse of intensity that is being trapped together, mm. that like, yeah, mm-hmm. everything from sexual partners on the one hand to, I mean, I was in an all-male aircraft carrier and I don't roll that way. So that wasn't my experience, mm-hmm. but you do do all those stupid high school shit things like liking and hating people for no reason, (laughs) you know, like, and, and then that rolls over and then you're like, Oh, he's totally fine. Or, Oh, he he was riding me and being a dick, but actually (laughs) now that we've been together for three months, he's fine. Or, Whoa, he is really a dick. And I'm going (laughs) to avoid him like the plague. Like uh, mostly by the end of five months, Incidentally, the only people you hate are the people who do no work because there's so much mm. work that you can get along with all the people huh. who are egocentric and eccentric and weird, but the people who don't do their work, you're just like, I want you to. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, um, no, talking to that's... you, it's so obvious to see again, like you had mentioned this earlier, all the like life experience and research experience that you have coming through in this story. It's so, it's. It's what really makes the character of Embaro stick out and these moments in between the plot that we're talking about. It's like and, it's so interesting. Yeah, and I'm hearing you again, Christian, that it, when you find the people that who that don't do their work are the only ones you really end up having a problem with, it, it goes back to those elements of this trust-based society. And the, the word that I'm thinking about now is, is duty or right? Like uh, all these people are able to find what their actual role is, whether it's put on, putting on embroidery or whatever. And if they're able to stick to that role and do their duty, then things fall into place no matter what kind of personality they're works. expressing, right? Like, yeah. It's a trust-based it, society. It's, it's yeah. a trust-based society. And also like you can leave your priceless whatever sitting on a table and nobody steals it. And right. you... Mm. Uh, like you, although you can't trust people with food, 
that is a very weird <laughs> thing that I learned. On my um, like, like if there's cherry pie and there's not enough cherry pie to go around, war will happen. Yeah. People will kill. Yeah, there's pie like, was like one of the pie. most valuable currencies uh, on the Athens. And it's also, yeah. but you can use that kind of environment of like doing your work and stuff as part of your character building, which you did. It reminds me of the scenes where Embaro was trying to track down her laundry and the laundry yeah. crew was like, Get, who, who are you? Get out of here telling us how to do our job. <laughs> But if it's not here, yeah. it's gone forever. But then she, you know, goes through her moment of bravery and she comes back and there's her laundry like all clean and pressed and they gave her like mm. extra special attention. And it's like, ah, things are changing in this book and we were able to see it just through everyday life. You didn't have to be like, oh, and then the laundry guy came up and hugged me and said, well done. I was really impressed with what you did. It's like, we know those laundry guys can be dicks and it's impossible to get your laundry back. So the act of just having it delivered and prepared special has this huge impact to it both as in borrow as a character and the dynamic of the people on the ship and what they value it's really fascinating it, it's funny uh and i i will i'll just tell this story super fast that really happened to me in a different <laughs> way and it had a completely different an- ending so my first cruise i had two nice white linen shirts because mm-hmm. i didn't mm-hmm. like go on shore in jeans and a t-shirt like every other person and I wanted to look like a European, which I usually pulled off because we were in the Mediterranean. Mm. And uh, so I had these two nice mm-hmm. white linen shirts and they disappeared. And that pissed me off. So yeah. I went down to laundry and I wasn't making that part up. Like laundry way down in the ship <laughs> where officers never go. And uh, But it had a completely different resolution. The chief petty officer came out and found my shirts in like 90 seconds. And he's like, sir, this should huh. never have happened. And everybody was super mm. helpful. And I, and then on my way back out, then uh, another chief petty officer said, sir, I don't know what you're doing here, but you should never come down to this deck. You're just making work for people because like everything stops because there's an officer. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, things I didn't know, you know, like (laughs) there's a whole other world down there. And I just, and I was very junior and very stupid. And I just like, I'm going to go find my shirts. Um, uh, All I was trying to really get across in that scene besides sort of starting towards one of the plots with Dornell um, was uh, one thing to say a ship is nine kilometers long. It's another thing to actually like start saying mm. like there's parts of the ship that people don't go to and <laughs> um, and there's rats and God knows what else. Yes. I never describe the things that move around down mm. on the seventh deck. I just mm-hmm. let you imagine for yourself what alien creatures <laughs> yeah. are crawling around. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you guys ever seen or read Red Dwarf? Red what? No. Red, Red, Red Dwarf? Dwarf? No, oh, um, no. Never read it. Uh, sci-fi comedy from the 70s. Hmm. And it's really mm. cynical and dark and hilarious. Uh, and Ooh. long story short, uh, a guy who works in, I think, the garbage room, uh, <laughs> wakes up after an accident and discovers that he's the only person left alive on a giant starship. And Oh, by the way, a million years have passed. (laughs) Um, And, Oh, wow. uh, And it's just, it's very funny because he's so excited that now he's the captain and other dumbass things. (laughs) um, uh, My, my wife always says, is it like red dwarf? Cause it's like the only science fiction she's ever enjoyed in Mm. her life. But there were some really good bits, and one of them was like, "Yeah, uh, I'm on a giant starship, and I repair the vending machines." <laughs> um, you know, like all those jobs exist. 
Right. Yeah. One of the other like subplots that I was super fascinated in and 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 loved to watch it evolve through the book was Mbaro's relationship with coffee, <laughs> because I'm a I'm addicted <laughs> to coffee myself. So yeah, from the moment of being too. like, hey, we should buy this to oh, let's start like tasting it and selling it. Like I could tell, and you had mentioned off and the then air, she's drinking maybe. fifteen cups. Yeah, then she's drinking a lot, and then <laughs> I had like, to tell her to stop and all these other things. Yeah. To me, it's like, okay, this is someone who has a very like meaningful relationship with coffee. And I know we mentioned, I can't remember if it was on the air or not, that you like to go to cafes to do most of your writing. And there's a cafe that you like to frequent. So it's like, I would love to get more light on from one coffee guy to another, your relationship with coffee. And then like, like how it's such an important part of Embaro's world and artifact space. So, uh, yeah. I love coffee <clears throat> and um, I, I used to drink sort of anything I was given and that was fine. And I, I still will, I won't lie. Like I, I'd rather have crap coffee than no coffee. I'm not that snobby, but um, in Kenya and then later in other African mm. countries, I had the chance to drink really fresh, really good coffee. Huh. Um, and uh Africans know a lot about coffee and mm. I, I got some mm. really great lessons from people. Um, and that, you know, that sort of started me on a different road. And then I would only buy Kenyan coffee because it was the only coffee mm. I quote unquote understood, which is a weird snobbery. Um, <laughs> and then I started discovering that I, I really loved particular coffees that weren't necessarily Kenyan. Um, yeah, I could go a long way with this. I could bore you <laughs> bit less. Uh, I you really would not enjoy, bore us, I promise. I really enjoy espresso made properly. I really hate it huh. when people don't clean the filter and mm. so that it tastes mm. like lie. Um, and uh, tastes there's like lie. A, an almost, um, wow, who listens to you guys? Am I going to get in big trouble? Uh, American <laughs> Italian restaurants have a habit of serving really bad espresso yeah. and pretending that this is what espresso <laughs> Yeah, and it just drives me bonkers, and I always want to go like, take me to the kitchen. I'll clean your machine. Yeah, and if you, if, I, you uh, let the, if you let the oil go hmm. in a in an espresso machine, you get a particular taste, and a lot of Americans and Canadians think that's what espresso tastes like. Yeah, and mm. then they get to Italy and go, oh, this is almost sweet. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's it's not supposed to have yeah. that nasty acid aftertaste. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't that, trust espresso in most places. Yeah. It has to be a place that I am confident knows their stuff. <laughs> I mean, so, everywhere we've gone, like Charles and I, when we went to New Zealand, one of the things, and it's not like New Zealand is known for their coffee, particularly or anything like that. But even there, we were struck by how much better the coffee was immediately than the u.s and i just well, feel like it's something we're not doing right over here but we're a coffee loving we country before we go too anti-american let me say that as far as i'm concerned the worst coffee in the world is in england uh where <laughs> they believe that if the water is even a pale brown it counts as coffee and um uh, we do have some uk listeners christian <laughs> and i know that people have said to me this coffee is too strong uh when my mind is screaming, this isn't even coffee. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, by and large, everybody rags on Starbucks. Starbucks has made world coffee better. They've upped the game mm, because, mm. because if you can go in London or Glasgow or wherever to a Starbucks, 
all the other coffee shops have to be at least as good. It's not a high bar, but it's a bar. <laughs> and um, mm. that that's good. Anyway, okay. yeah, I like coffee. I spent spend way too much time drinking it. And in fact, if you look at my Instagram feed today, uh, this is the first day we were allowed back in restaurants. So mm. there I am at my favorite coffee shop uh, nice. writing Deep Black, which is the sequel to Artifact Space. Yes. And, and that was super fun. <laughs> that's awesome and yeah definitely check out christian cameron on instagram guys and that leads yeah. nicely into one of the questions that we wanted to make sure we asked so artifact space is book one of your new sci-fi series called the arcana imperi and one of the things we wanted to make sure we asked is what can we expect from deep black which is book two yeah so Honestly, I don't know. And I'm going to tell you guys the truth. The <laughs> truth is, depending on sales, there will be more books or there won't. Mm. Like, mm. this is a kind of a risk for me. Um, sure. It's not that big mm. a risk because I've admitted that it took 45 or 46 days to write. But um, <laughs> sure. I'm not a sci-fi writer. I'm an epic fantasy writer. And mm. uh, it's possible that no one's going to care. And I'm not going to sell enough copies. See, I, I sold this on a one book contract. So I don't have mm. a contract for a sequel. Um, I'll mm. admit to you that I could write 50 of these. <laughs> they might not all be about Envaro, but like the other, sure. the other day I had a whole, this is going to sound very odd. I had a whole plot in my head for a story about an agriculturalist on Sahel and a plot mm. like uh, with action. It's not just like, Oh, the day to day mm. life of a sci-fi agriculturalist. But it, that was part of the point was like, you know, sci-fi epic is always about like spaceships. What's it like about just dealing with technology, trying to preserve a biome, trying to trying to grow earth crops while not destroying the alien? Like I, I thought of a whole sort of environmentalist plot mm -hmm. complete with mm -hmm. like anti-environmentalist sort of capitalist greed terrorism and thought like, this is a good idea for a novel. And because mm. I'd already set up Sahel and the way it worked, I was like, oh, I've got all this. This would make a really good book. I'd love to write more books in this universe. And mm. I can tell you a little about what Deep Black is about. But I will say, yeah. if Artifact Space sells, I'd like there to be three of these. And we'll call that mm. the main sequence. Mm -hmm. And then I might write some novellas about agriculturalists or assassins. Or like, um, I'd love to write a novella about the main political plot, which frankly is invisible to Nbaro because it's all going on mm, back at right. New London. So she's seeing like mm. the terrorism, but she has no idea really what the why or mm. the economic impact. And I'd love to have a novella from a different point of view. Yeah. There. So um, the main action is really about a murder mystery. Spoiler, major spoiler. <laughs> and the murder mystery is the murder of the circles, right? There, there was a race mm. 100,000 years ago on a bunch of planets, and they had a high culture. And then they all died out in a very short amount of time. Mm. Mm -hmm. Let me give you a spoiler from the beginning of Deep Black. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, You've been warned. Very listeners. early in Deep Black, someone discovers a piece of that same alien carbon fiber with the writing on the station at, Bar at Trade Point. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because the way you described those creatures almost being like mechanical definitely <laughs> raised some suspicions for me. <laughs> so, so 
100,000 years ago, somebody wiped out an entire alien race as far yeah. as the characters know. Uh, who did that? <laughs> and, and What's up with that? <laughs> and do people need to worry about that? And um, uh, that is the real main plot. Hmm. Uh, that is what Deep mm-hmm. Black is really about. And mm. um, yeah, I, it's, I don't know how much to give away to you guys. I've never been in this position. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, well, whatever you feel I, comfortable with, anything with artifact space and whatever the, you, you can give the, us the, for Deep Black. <laughs> the title yeah. kind of gives away the main action. And Barrow and some people mm. are going to go far off mm. into space, basically exploring. But mm. without giving away the whole yeah. plot, I want to remind you that the DHC is not a military organization. It's a trade. Trade. Yeah. And so uh, it's not about finding a giant space battle. It's about trying to protect trade. And uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I think it's going to be as good. I, I hope people like Artifact Space, but I'm very excited by the plot because one of my favorite things, we talked about this the first time, is to defy the expectations of the genre. It, yeah. It's something that I love to do. And I want to do it in a way that you enjoy. Like, I'm not going to go like, ooh, epic fantasy, no sword fights at all. Nope, <clears throat> that is not mm. that is not my idea of defying the expectation. But I do like playing with those expectations and either delaying your gratification or inverting it. So um, I promise that Deep Black will have a space battle, but I don't think it will happen the way anybody expects or be <laughs> the space battle that they expect. And I'll, yeah. I'll be honest, the, the expected space battle is like the Athens against the, the bubble aliens for all the, for, mm. for keeps. But oh. I promise you, that's not what's happening. And, uh, <laughs> okay. and, and in, in fact, um, yeah. Good times will be had by all. I, I will say that all the clues are in artifact space. If you've read artifact space carefully, you can guess what has gone on. Mm-hmm. But well, we so, <laughs> that's so Christian. I I was like uh, deep in my feelings about this idea of there not being a deep black if artifact space doesn't sell as well as you're hoping for because they i feel like there's so much you've built in artifact space that are still these loose threads that i'm like i feel like this compulsion this need to have tied together don't worry i'm friends i'm friends with dirk and ben galley and i know lots of 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 indie writers i know how to do it i've i've written enough of deep black that i'm not gonna deep six it so great i'm gonna say if it doesn't get picked up i'll probably just self-publish it for fun because uh, because frankly enough people have written reviews that i figure all right i can't leave you hanging and i'll tell you a weird Mm. thing about me i i also want to know what happens doesn't that sound (laughs) Oh, that makes total sense no i um, think so you know so if it does sell there will be three books and the third book will be basically coming home uh one of my favorite reviews so far said uh i will hate you forever if Embaro doesn't save sarah Uh, and uh i i wrote back and said fear not because like that is the the culmination and coming home will mm. be about the politics that you really haven't understood and borrow having to face all that um should be fun yeah and yes i'm sure you'll get into like i don't want to 
get too deep into this, but like the way that how time has passed back in New London and things like that, I'm, mm. I'm wondering yep. how that would play an effect on trying to save Sarah yep. as well. It's like, what, how long has it been relative to Sarah, relative to Embaro? Like, there's a lot of really interesting potential there that I would love to read. And I do also want to shine light, like 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 you said, there are a lot of reviews, both on Goodreads and Amazon, and your book is rated very mm-hmm. highly. You have nearly 200 reviews on both places, and your reviews are mm-hmm. basically five stars across the board. I, so I have never written a book with this high reviews, yeah. but uh, reviews aren't sales. Yes. And, you know, like, <laughs> mm. I, you guys accused me of being too humble. But this is my 43rd <laughs> book, I'm pretty sure. And something I've learned is that reviews aren't sales. Yeah. And that hmm. Uh, hmm. Uh, I, you know, like I got a Times Literary Supplement review on my sci- science fiction novel. I have never gotten a ty- Times Literary Supplement review on any fantasy I've ever written. Hmm. Uh, hmm. So that was weird. <laughs> um, but that uh, didn't bump my Amazon rating by, you know, like, anyway. It's it's a business, gentlemen. It's yes, a business. it's a business. And, yeah, people got to speak and, with their dollars, not just their words. You know, I, it's I've one thing a, to I've say you like bills. it. <laughs> I have I have a mortgage and a kid just about to go to university, and we know what that mm. means. Oh yes, mm. yes. yes. <laughs> uh, so yes. Uh, you know, I was about to say a phrase my wife hates. I'm not. I won't say it. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe off the air. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I've, I fired artifact space out there. Hopefully, uh, Galants will pick up three of them, and um, you know, and it'll it'll be super fun. And you know, eventually, I'll get to write some novellas to fill out the sort of yeah. universe. And Netflix will pick it up for a twenty episode. <laughs> um, uh, I think Christopher season. Nolan would have a great time with this, with all the time stuff and <laughs> yeah. like, right? He's always really into all that, so. I feel, I don't know, it was giving me those kind of vibes when I was reading it. I was was like, oh, he'd love this. Uh, Just even the stuff with, like, an attack being set in the, like, way past, but in some ways that doesn't, like, they were overprepared because they didn't know where things would be in the future. And I'm like, I don't know, that stuff, it's it's really impressive science. Yeah, the kind of stuff that I think Chris Nolan would love. And I don't know, I vision, I'm a dreamer, Christian, but I, I envision those kind of things as something that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> but, I, I'm, I'm going to make a nerdy, arrogant statement to all your fans and say, <laughs> hey, one of the things I really wanted to accomplish in this science fiction novel, even though I don't see it as military sci-fi, I see it as just like sci-fi, um, is to try and make space battle tactics make sense because Mm -hmm. quite frankly usually when i read them i go no don't believe that that's not how it works we already (laughs) have ecm better than that like yeah there's some Mm -hmm. good solid military sci-fi but often i uh, i think like (laughs) have you guys ever done a like big simulator like this um uh, i'm not (laughs) sure that everybody has thought of the ramifications of time delay like time delay yeah. on communications. And yeah. I thought The Expanse was the first show I'd ever huh. watched that indicated that basically the whole combat is going to happen in about three quarters of a second. You know, like right. the moment two computer systems come in range. And and then 
right now we have radars, radars will work in space, that will individual slug coming out of like a close-in weapon system that's firing the slugs so close together, they're virtually a solid stream of depleted uranium. <laughs> and you can track every one of those and which they show on the expanse, right? Where they kind of show the mm -hmm. curl of fire as the two ships maneuver in 3D. Do you remember this fantastic I'm episode? actually about to start watching The Expanse. Uh, okay. So, well, yeah, that's like next up on my TV list. So I'm, I felt I'm listening. Like, it, like anyone ever showed that Captain Kirk is not saying fire the photon torpedoes because the length of time it takes him to say those words, the fight's over. <laughs> yeah, because um, yeah, in uh, Artifact Space, it's like all they meant you took the time to mention. It's like, oh, it's all done by computer. So it's like it happens faster than anyone could process or, or give a command, which to me is hmm. very sci-fi. And it's like, yeah, that would be true. If we live in a world where we can launch massive things into space, we've got to have like programmatically like solved battle tactics, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the slowest thing, even in, on a modern battlefield, is the human being. Um, mm. So imagine 600 mm. years in the future. And I just wanted to get that across. And again, uh, uh, all praise to, to Corey and the folks who make yeah. Expanse. They got that. But I feel like most sci-fi is still thinking it's uh, World War II submarine combat. You know, like <laughs> right. uh, yeah. not, not um, uh, speed of light communication, you know. And yet at the same time, what, uh, what Dylan was talking about is also real. And I, I'm not a mathematician and I'm not a very good scientist. So I had tables laid, with things laid out and little notes pinned to them going like, if this ship jumped mm. at point X yeah. and this ship enters the system at point Y, do they ever see them? And I'm like, have I got this right? And I'm literally <laughs> asking. Science fiction writer probably. It's so inter like. <laughs> but it was so cool because it was so like interstellar. Uh, and I love that movie. And I was and I'm just thinking about the ramifications now of doing all this time skipping. Was that and, and I keep I'm waiting, like, I keep waiting for someone to to write me a note, like one star review, like you got all the math wrong. <laughs> the jumping out ship sees everything. I'm like, no, no, I, I'm so careful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well. that's true, but it it's science fiction people <laughs> well i think that's kind of the risk right the difference between calling it space opera and calling it science fiction is when you start calling it science fiction then people start getting all these expectations that you got all the science and the math right but it space space opera kind of opens you up to this more like oh we're just having we're having fun out there <laughs> and i feel like yeah it's it's that balance we're talking about there where it feels like it has the thought of a science fiction novel in it, but the fun of a space opera. Like, well, uh, thank you. Once again, you're my favorite critics. That's what I was aiming for. And, uh, Dylan, can we blurb that? It, it, no, it's, it's, yeah. it's funny. Uh, a very good and nice review, nonetheless, said that I, I forget exactly what they said, but they basically said this was kind of light or lightweight or whatever. And I, uh, that's an interesting point of view. Because I want books to be about hope. Mm. And I'd like to hope that the future isn't like all doom and gloom. Is that light? Maybe it is light. <laughs> I don't know. I wanted it to be fun. When I read sci-fi yeah. as a kid, uh, while it was often very, like, even Star Trek, very thoughtful, uh, mostly it was fun. 
leaving aside the endless sexual harassment of his own officers Mm. on the bridge and other problems that you see in Star Trek, leaving all (laughs) that aside, um, it's fun. Mm -hmm. And I did want it to Mm -hmm. be fun. Yep, that is true. So sometimes I wanted to bore you and sometimes I wanted it to be fun. Well, I always um, prefer the, you know, the intent to entertain me as a reader rather than like dump all of this sci-fi theory. <laughs> like I, I love science fiction, but sometimes you can read one that's a bit more dense. But no, I love all the different like time dilation stuff. You get into economics. You also get into like the communication between alien races and i was wondering if you you had seen the movie arrival christian have you seen oh, that so good oh, oh christian, you haven't seen you gotta it? check that out your, so your communication well, we talked about with watch the party stuff yeah right <laughs> i i don't know christian that's a freaking highly I, we'll talk off the air about yeah, it but we'll talk about i, I would love to watch <laughs> i got so arrival good. vibes uh so good different but like very interesting oh, i'm glad they're different you were scaring me i'm like what? no Did no no it doesn't no 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 because no, the whole movie yeah. is about amy adams trying to communicate with an alien race that only speaks in like like inkblot circles and she's trying to like decode it yeah. and communicate back to them much like you have she's characters trying to communicate with she's the starfish right so they have these moments where it's like okay we're going to try and communicate with them and they like go into their spaceship and like experiment with signals and stuff it. there's time dilation things going on yeah highly that's recommend so it yeah <laughs> that's a great movie but so, i get I, the, I, all to say that i was very impressed with the amount of science fiction science elements as like this is your debut science fiction novel right so i can't imagine what kind of Mm. undertaking that must have been to so i really wanted to be a marine biologist and i ended up as a medieval Mm. historian Um, (laughs) starfish uh, yeah the starfish definitely just straight out of my sixth grade trip to woods hole in massachusetts which is like the center of marine biology on the east coast and uh you know i do know all the fancy words for parts of sea anemones and stuff like that and Mm. um uh it's one of the most interesting, I'm, I'm going to answer a question you didn't ask. <laughs> one of the most interesting parts of the novel for me is that Inbaro isn't me. I'm a ludicrously social extrovert. <laughs> mm. um, and it was super fun writing a character who isn't me. Um, yeah. And like, okay, I'm not saying that any of my other characters is necessarily me, except Tom Swan, who's pretty much absolutely me. But um, <laughs> uh and and is a shameful kind of train wreck but uh (laughs) but it was very interesting and i did have a couple of real people in mind who Mm. maybe had had tougher uh youthful lives and who i've known pretty well Mm. but it was really interesting writing somebody who wasn't me but there is a character who's largely like me a lot of the time and that's dorcas dorcas just Ah. knows a little bit about everything yeah she's just like endlessly providing I see that information nobody really wants to hear right then that's me yeah um, yeah, yeah. And it's funny uh, when they like towards the end they're all at the lunch table just goading them into conversations <laughs> you know having fun like that <laughs> ask my friends ask my friends what they do at lunch tables <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's what we're doing right now. <laughs> yeah. so let's, your just, let's just poke him and see what he'll tell us about faster than light try. <laughs> um, and, yes. Uh, I, it was actually fun caricaturing myself. Uh, and I haven't really done that in a book before. And I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I went back and I actually sort of parted it up at one point. I was like, no, no, I'm going to make this even more of a caricature. And 
hopefully he's funny. He's meant to be a kind of like, you know, oh, he has yeah. his moments, but he's kind of funny and he's almost the comic relief. And yet he's also Spock, right? Like, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, in, in Deep Black, I play a lot more with the neural lace. Um, in fact, the neural laces are beginning to take over Deep Black because I'm trying, and this gets mm. back to your, your comments about science fiction. I'm trying to like get through my head what it would be like to actually have an ability to directly interrelate with the whole computer system of the ship. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. for instance, do you realize, I only realized this after I'd written 150 pages. If, if all of the officers have neural laces, you don't need a bridge, right? It's exactly <laughs> like working from home taken mm. to its logical conclusion. Right. You don't need a nerve center for the command and control because wherever they are, they can immediately read yeah. any function. Right. And, huh. and they can directly interface. Like you don't need to look at a screen showing radar returns. You can read the radar returns yourself right. like you were the original machine. And I, I keep rewriting these scenes going, <laughs> oh, no, they wouldn't do that. No, they wouldn't. Do, oh, my God, they wouldn't do that either. Like, no. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, I, can I feel I feel like I need to sit down for 12 hours with somebody who's like in the AI synergy business and go like, <laughs> okay, tell me, tell me where it's going. Right. Um, and then uh, just this morning, I discovered I get a magazine called Nautilus, which I want to recommend to you. And I know that only old people read magazines, but it's a science <laughs> magazine and it has never mm. steered me wrong. Right. And it's just Nautilus. Yeah. Nautilus. It's like what we used to call in university physics for poets. It's like. Here's the latest uh, direction in deep space telescopes explained to you with your lack of math. Oh. So I, 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 huh. I, love, I have lack I of love math. math. <laughs> I love that <laughs> magazine. And this morning, because of it, I bought a book called uh, The Zoology of the Galaxy. No, A Zoologist's Guide to the Galaxy. And it's uh. a whole bunch of Earth zoologists describing how they think alien life will work. Um, Hmm. Anyway, I bought it this morning because I'm like, I, I definitely what? need that because, because, you know, uh, and now I'm going to tell stories against myself in artifact space. I'm very careful not to tell you too much about the starfish. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah well, I'm getting to the point Still where I have to tell mystery. you more about the starfish and now I need to know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, I yeah. guess I got to go plan out this whole alien race now. <laughs> yeah. I see. I have two options here. Blow up the space station and kill all the starfish or start telling you how this all works. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to know how it works. Yeah. So. Given the ending <laughs> yeah. of artifact space, yes. I have a feeling it's going to play an important, it would be funny if like you right. start deep black with just all the starfish exploding. If that happens, I'll know where your thought process was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, the sad truth is that it's a little like that. It does start with a bang. Interesting, because mm. I know Artifact Space was more of a slow burn. So, and I know you did that intentionally. Yeah. So that will be very interesting. And um, I just, yeah, I mean, want to be respectful of your time, Christian. We could go on forever. I have so many well, more little questions. Why don't we get together? A- again sometime yes uh, yes but let me let me reiterate Definitely. let me sum up yes let me explain no let me sum up uh, <laughs> i'm hoping there's three books uh the second book will be about trying to solve the mystery of how two mysteries how does xenoglass get made mm-hmm. what happened to the circles mm. the mysterious race that appears to have died out yeah 
um, via the agency of uh, a non-government that is mostly interested in establishing and protect, protecting trade. The third book, hmm. will, which I have only tentatively called Coming Home because that's a dumb title and I'll come up with a title that goes with Artifact Space and Deep Black, hmm. but let's just hmm. call it Coming Home, will be about coming home. And it will be another kind of science fiction novel, much more Blade Runner-ish, much more like mm. uh, ah. the nitty gritty mm. of what it's like to live inside the DHC, because that I want to I want to have fun with that too, right? Because mm -hmm. it's I, I think yeah. even in this in the bits you see in Artifact Space, you, I hope you go, cool, cool orbitals, what cool like ideas for for what the, these societies are like. So I want to have a whole book to play in those societies. So that's what I hope I yeah. get to do. And if well, everyone you know and all their friends go out and buy a copy, I'll probably yes. <laughs> yes. So that's the thing, Christian. It's that that. So it's important to me that we get to uh, we get to coming home, whatever it ends up being called. And yeah, what can we do? What can our listeners do to help make just sure that happens? It's just buy it. Yeah, just buy it and review it on Amazon or Goodreads. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah. Or really anything else. I don't mean to back Amazon like I'm an Amazon supporter because <laughs> I'll, I'll be it's complicated. Yeah. yeah, it's got. Um, you, yes, it's a but, complicated relationship. We get it. Yeah. Yes, we I'd get like it. to date other people. I don't know. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, one more non-spoiler that I want to get across before we close out: there will be more sword fights. Ooh, that's important because, yeah. Hey, yeah. I, yeah, we Wouldn't didn't expect the anything less from the creator of writing fighting. <laughs> maybe we took for granted the fact that the the fight scenes are incredible because it's you and we know <laughs> that. But I want to make sure we say that out loud, which they are. They are really incredible, and the swords in space, and also just space battles, like they really, really awesome. So, and I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to way more of that and seeing Morrow get out there with the sword. Hey, I have a question for you guys, uh, literally. So yeah. I, it's about space battles. So I chose to have the climactic battle not be the end battle. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And that was, again, a defy expectations thing because, because to me there's a falseness to that plot arc. Mm -hmm. And because I thought I had plenty of excitement dealing with aliens for the end and I didn't need to have the fancy space battle also be the end. Mm -hmm. How did you feel yeah. about that? I felt like... So it's interesting because I felt like, you know, we've got nukes and stuff going on in the big, uh, like, climatic stuff. And that, those, that feels, like, plot-wise much more intense and bigger. But then things like her friends, like Thea being in danger and things like that, feel character-wise to be extreme climax stuff going on. So I guess I thought of it as kind of, like to me i'm a very character focused reader so when i'm like wait wait, wait where's thea what's going on there like that stuff i was really invested in umbar and thea's relationship like that stuff felt like climax to me too i guess which well, is it, like was, you know sure, what i'm saying it was, it was meant to so that was my yeah. way of playing that and yeah. uh, I, I have to tell you another quick story one of my best friends and one of the women who helped make the character of thea mm. she's like You've done it again. I've killed her before in novels. She's like, I stopped oh, no. reading on this page. And then it turned out, I won't, I won't spoil her that. But she's like, 
Sure. You did it again. You killed me again, you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too much fun. Can't help it. <laughs> it's, uh... Yeah. No, like, for me personally, like, from the beginning of the way you set the story up with the slow burn, and we were talking about plot elements happening in between all of these other moments that you've drawn on from experience, that to me is what Artifact Space is. So to end it with, like, this climactic space battle almost kind of goes against this whole story that you've mm. written. So to me, I actually, it kind of doubled down on what I appreciated most about this book and your your writing style going into this book of like things will happen when they happen and it's not going to always be according to plan and sometimes they're going to be fast and this yes there's all these different plot threads looming over and borrow at all times but it doesn't like dominate her mind and her story the story is her like navigating her life and slowly realizing that she has found a family and that she has grown into this leadership position so the fact that the action happened and we got to see her kind of take command and, and do all these really cool things excellent but does it need to be the cinematic moment at the end it's like that kind of is not the story structure where you were going so to me it's like i just love yeah. seeing an author do their thing and and the uh, fact that you're able to commit to that and bring it home and still have a very interesting ending that leaves things open-ended with the starfish and all of that it's like that's all i needed to see it's i'm not gonna get upset because there's no like oh where's the rising action here you know like where's the climax it's, it happened we got it and it's delivered in this matter of fact way of like here's what life is really like on this spaceship it doesn't end with the huge explosion there's you know fallout from what happens and then there's more stuff that happens and there's scientific research going on and like we're still gonna have lunch and all these other things so <laughs> i thought it was great <laughs> yeah you know the other day when we were talking i think it was sebastian de castle said ultimately books are about relationships mm -hmm. and like yeah ultimately this book That's is about beautiful. relationships yeah. big surprise That's <laughs> what books are mostly about. yes Guys. Yeah, that's how Mark Lawrence <laughs> describes uh, the, the Book of the Ancestor as well as being about relationships. And that's so far, I'm reading One Word Kill now, and that's awesome, too. But yeah. um, it, it's uh, speaking of like getting involved in some different genres and whatnot. Um, and like I'll say a uh, I guess I want to spoil Book of the Ancestor in here, but it, my favorite relationship or one of my two favorite relationships in Mark Lawrence's book, The Ancestor, reminds me a lot of uh, the way Inbaro and Thea interact. So I, was, I was really loving that. And I, I can tell us there's a book about relationships and uh, it's uh, it's so strong and it allows for it to have these like multiple climaxes uh, and where the plot focused readers get theirs and the more relationship and character focused ones get theirs too. And it, it ends with a bang in that sense. Um, and yeah, but I love it. All right. I'm going to, I'm Go going to end by saying uh, one of the things I was also trying to get across, I'm just ripping off of what both of you say <laughs> is that, um, you know, my experience of the Gulf war, for example, is you think, you think that when you know you're going to like get in an airplane and do something super dangerous in 12 hours that you'd worry about that. I mean, I'm as much of a coward as anybody in you, mm. but really what you're worried about is your next hamburger. Like, am I going to get to eat now? Is there any time to sleep? And um, it's the human brain is just superbly adaptable. There will be time to be terrified yeah. later. Right now, what I want is a burger. Yeah. And so your whole focus. Could, anyway, and it was, I try to capture that with Nabarro. I only say that because somebody's like, she seems over-focused on her day-to-day -day life. And I'm like, no, that's life on shipboard. You're like, 
that's the human experience. Yeah. Get up. Oh, now what am I doing? Yeah. Oh, it's a crisis. Oh, the crisis is over. Eat. Yeah. And that's where this book really stands out to me. All of these genuine experiences that you've had in your understanding of life on ships and the human condition during like in a military setting, it it all shines. And that's the reason you would pick up this book. And then there's just the added benefit of all these really interesting sci-fi elements with space travel, aliens, like weapons. And it's, it's, it's just really well done. So I just wanted to congratulate you on an awesome release. And, you know, we really enjoyed the book. Well, that is music to my ears, and thanks for having me. And like, let's do this again. Yes, I know. There's yes, so many. There's definitely. a million little things that I could think of of uh, taking your time up with, but I, I won't do it because it seems like we're coming to such a nice little conclusion here. I will we'll do say it later, though. We will do it later for certain. But yeah. for Keep now, clear. guys, check out Artifact Space by Miles Cameron, Christian Cameron, depending on what you read. But in this case, Miles Cameron. Um, I have the. I also listened to the audiobook, which I thought was great. I, I purchased oh, the audiobook great. as well. Mm. She was so mm. great. Yeah. Yeah. And Aneka yeah. Okoye, I'm going to try and pronounce. But yeah, yeah. she was excellent. And I, I actually listened to the whole thing. I was just going to listen to a snippet. <laughs> and then I was like. <laughs> <laughs> I had to keep going. Yeah. So either way, it's you know, you can get it in Kindle or audiobook or, you know, wh- whatever works for you guys. But highly, highly recommend. I mean, we've already recommended it at the top and now we're in the spoiler section. So it is what it is. But tell your friends for all you people that are listening. Yes. Let's, you know, let's get this Write book those going. reviews. Yeah, write those reviews. We got to write ours. Yes, we will write ours. Now, now that get we've... on that, boys. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. We don't use those as much as we... Yeah, we've, we've never really pot, we written get a review. There, like, we've written yeah. like one well, review. I, I, a little yeah, mm-hmm. so, but we will. Yeah, our we wrote, guests. Yeah, we wrote one for our guests. We gotta get more on it as well. Yeah, we yeah. we have to get on it. Yep. We just don't yeah. think of ourselves but as reviewers, we'll do it. but we will. We, we will. Yeah, and we're gonna give it five stars. We're spoiler, looking, obviously. <laughs> so <Yes>. obviously, <laughs> and yeah, if you enjoyed the book, that's where you can go get it. That's where you can tell your friends to go. But also be sure to check out Christian Cameron on his website, ChristianCameronAuthor.com. And all the social media channels, Fokion One, highly recommend. Writing Fighting is coming back, guys, and you are not going to want to miss yeah. it when it comes back. So be sure to give Nine him more a days. follow. Nine, Nine more, more days. Nine more days, and I'll be back. It'll be time. even less by the time this airs. So it'll be like, That's true. it'll be like, you know, right. just a few days. So you still have some time, guys. You don't want to, you don't want to wait too long. And uh, that's Fokion One. And we'll put all the links in the description and all of that. But um, Christian, anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap things up today? No, you guys have literally covered virtually everything. <laughs> and I... <laughs> Uh, I look forward to coming back to sell you on Deep Black or Against yes. All Gods. You don't have to, you've already go, sold us on that. I'm about to go all fantasy on Against All Gods and go Ooh. back to my normal epic fantasy life. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Against All Gods next. Yeah, I'm not sure if oh, we Oh, for sure. Can, yeah, yeah, if we hopefully we can wait that long. Otherwise, you know, doors always open to have you oh, back, yeah. Christian. And anyway, we can go. Yes. yes, just tell oh, us yeah. when we'll we be got it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, flesh that out, but that is uh, that's yeah. number one right now. Yeah, we won't hold you to it on air, but we're going to try to make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> because, no, it's just always a pleasure having you on. <laughs> yes, anything in our power to make happen, we will do. 
and just guys, come on, Christian Cameron, such a, a generous interviewee and author, and definitely want to check. Wonderful him out. person, so, wonderful person, yes. And thank you for coming on. Um, you guys are burying me in flowers. <laughs> All right. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, yeah, as always, go forth and conquer, friends.